Rogers scrambles he's left, winds up, runs the ball. He's got time at the 10 to the 5. Yes. To the end zone. Touchdown. And a dagger. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Gone for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Brewer fans, welcome to the Brewers Trilogy Podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy, the podcast for not only them diehard baseball fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around beer. My name is Tyler, aka T Plush, your host for the show. I'm a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fansided and one of the founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy Podcast. You can find all the work we do on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod. Not joining me as always is good buddy Trevor, aka Sunshine Bender. You can find him on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. He is a host of our Packers Trilogy podcast, and he's got a case of the old man's tonight, so pretty sure he's been passed out for at least an hour, maybe even an hour and a half by now. Haven't heard from him in a while, so make sure you tweet at him there and give him some crap for missing our second Brewers podcast in a row, but I have no doubt he'll be back this weekend as we recap the Pirates series. But as you know, we're here to recap the Red series, so we'll get right into it. Quick recap on the series here. Game 1 was that 4-2 Brewers win. That was a start in which Brett Anderson went six strong innings, generated three double play balls. Justin Smoke provided all or most of the offense for the Brewers with three RBIs, and then Omar Narvaez hit his first home run of the year, and first as a Brewer, for that matter, as well. All the runs, of course, came after Trevor Bauer fake chugged a beer, which is just hilarious. Like, serves him right. Like, I love how animated Trevor Bauer is, but after setting a red strikeout record and fake chugging a beer with some deal he had with Budweiser, the Brewers just score some runs off him after that, so karma there, Bauer. So it was good to see that. The Brewers, of course, used their high leverage guys in Williams, Phelps, and Hayter to close out the door. Game two was another Brewers win. This time it was 3-2, to two, and it was a pitcher's duel between Brandon Woodruff and Luis Castillo. Both pitchers surrendered runs in the fourth inning. Woody would beam Cassianos and give up a couple two-out hits, which was really unfortunate. He was pitching well and just got some bad luck there. Castillo would give up three runs, one of which came off a throwing error by Joey Votto as he hit here running to second base. And then really kind of the big turning point in the game was that fifth inning. Brandon Woodruff was in a major jam, had the bases loaded with nobody out. First, he gets Joey Votto to strike out looking. Then he gets the, we'll call it, a routine 9-2 force out at home plate. <laughs> ben Gamble threw a dart to throw out uh, Freddie Galvis at home, who kind of paused on the line drive. And I think he might even took a couple steps back towards third, but... Man, a 90-mile-per-hour dart, according to StatCast, from Ben Camel to get that force out at home plate. And then, of course, the last out of that fifth, Brandon Woodruff got Jesse Winker to pop out to second. So holding the red scoreless in the fifth was huge there. And you see it, you saw a play that you don't really see every day. And the Brewers' bullpen, they went to Suter this time. 
uh, seeing how David Phelps was unavailable, went to Devin Williams and Josh Hader in the 8th and ninth innings on back-to-back days to get the win. Game 3 and 4 were parts of a doubleheader, and it was just pitiful offensively for the Brewers. Game 1 was a 6-1 loss, and again, that was in 7 innings due to the doubleheader. Adrian Hauser made the start, was given up a crap ton of hits, got tagged with a couple early runs. He really made two big mistake pitches in the third inning, ended up giving up back-to-back home runs. One was a hanging slider at Castellanos, and the other one was a sinker that really was kind of down the middle of the plate to Jesse Winker. Brewers offense got just absolutely nothing going in Game 3. Game 4, second of the doubleheader again in seven innings. Wade Miley, the former Brewers on the mound, he threw four innings of one-hit ball, and then from there the Reds' bullpen stipend the Brewers. Didn't give up any more hits as Brewers only had that one hit, which was a least Urias single. Uh, all game so really offense did not do its job and show up uh, during the double header and as a result the Brewers end up splitting the series against the Reds so kind of disappointing in how the series ended you would have liked to see the Brewers take at least one of games three or games four to win the series and really pick up some momentum after getting swept by the Pirates last weekend but they were unable to do that We did get to see a couple interesting things. I thought the Brewers were a lot more aggressive on the base paths this series. They were four out of five in steal attempts. So you saw steals from Yelich, Hira, Arcia, and Urias. And then the one lone guy who got caught stealing was Avi Garcia. So that's something we really haven't seen a ton of from the Brewers to this point in the season. I think a lot of it probably has to do with the fact the offense is not consistent and when you're not generating hits or getting on base a lot, when you do get runners on, it's important to get them into scoring positions so it takes less hits or, or less luck in the terms of Brewer hitters to get some runs on the plate. So I like the aggressive, and obviously it helps when you're stealing bases at an 80% success rate, which I'm sure probably will not be the case going forward. But I do like the kind of change in philosophy that I think I saw in this Red series, and it'll be interesting to see if their aggressiveness on the base paths continue as we move along here, and the offense really continues to struggle in terms of getting hits, slugging, hitting home runs, you name it. On the pitching side of things, we actually saw another good performance from Brett Anderson. So this is the second straight, we'll call it quality start, because he did go six innings, that he's given. He's gotten better and better after each start. Of course, his his start was delayed with that blister on his finger. But now, as you know, you get reached the point of, well, can he keep this play up? As we know, Brett Anderson had a tremendous 2019 season, really out of the ordinary for him, mainly because he stayed healthy. I mean, we know he's not going to blow the ball by by batters by any means, and the three double play balls he generated in Game One are evidence of that, and kept his pitch count in check. And man, like Brett Anderson, if he can prove to be a someone who can go five, six innings consistently, that would be great for the Brewers going forward. I think he does have the ability to do that, seeing how we're already halfway through the season, and he's kind of looks like reaching his peak here at this point in the season. Um, with his recent level of play, though, and the trade deadline coming up, I think we do have to keep in mind, you know, he's a rental player. Do the Brewers 
look to ship him out to someone who maybe is looking for some pitching in that regards. We just saw the Blue Jays this week acquire Tejon Walker from the Mariners. Many thought the Brewers should have targeted him, but they did not. So there are teams out there who will be looking for ways to bolster their starting pitching, and a veteran like Brett Anderson certainly would be one way to do that. As we look at the catching from this series, we do have to bring it to our attention that Nervaez started to heat up a little bit. He went 3-10 this series. All three of his hits were extra base hits, so I mentioned he had his first home run as a Brewer. Well, he hit another one as well, so two of them, and then he also had a double. Two RBIs on the series, one walk, only three strikeouts. So, well, it is encouraging to see him get some productive at-bats here and contribute in the run category. Um, it'll just be interesting to see if he can keep doing this because he's been dreadful to start the year. And Manny Pena went out with an injury here now in the second game of this doubleheader in the finale. So... Narvaez, while he has been getting most of the opportunities, he's probably going to get a lot more now depending on what happens with Manny Pena. I'm sure the Brewers will bring up someone to replace him. You don't want to just have one catcher on the active roster, so odds are that'll be David Freitas or Jacob Nottingham. I know we all would love to see Mario Feliciano, but eh, it's probably doubtful that's going to happen, especially because they'll probably... Just use Narvaez most of the time if an aisle stint is warranted, depending on what happened with Manny Pena there. Of course, that injury happened as he was kind of going back into first base and tweaked that knee and was removed. I think it was the second inning of the game. So kind of watching Narvaez bat. I mean, I think defensively this year he's been okay. He's showed moments of lapses behind there for sure. Like it seems like games where I get frustrated with him, like his defensive lapses come in bunches, but otherwise I think he does a good job. I don't think his pitch framing is as terrible as we all thought. I'll give him a little bit more credit for that. His blocking ability by far is, is still absolutely dreadful. Um, but if he can start to hit like we think he can and you know what we expected going into the season, he'll obviously make up with that. And really for him, it's, it's just a matter of doing that. So let's move on here. Let's go into our series MVP. And series dud. So my MVP, I've given him some recognition in the past as honorable mention, but I feel like it's warranted as an MVP this time, and that's Devin Williams. Man, the guy pitched on back-to-back nights in high-leverage spots. Two innings, five strikeouts, and he just made it look so easy, like unfazed out there, just dominated and blew his fastball by batters and made him look silly with that nasty changeup we know he has. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what actually happens when someone can get a hit off him. <laughs> I mean, I know he's given up hits or when he starts to get into like his first jam of the year, which I don't think has happened to date. So I, I'm just really pleased with how easy he's making it look. And I, I will give Josh Hader some honorable mention here as well, for he pitched in both the games and got both those saves right after Devin Williams pitched. And Josh Hader's first save of the series in that opening game he had to work for it a little bit through i think up near 20-ish pitches just his fastball velocity still down but he was 
commanding the slider pretty well, and the batters were just following good pitches off, and he really had to battle. So it was good to see Josh Hader in a close game, you know, mix up the pitch count and not rely so much on that fastball like he has in the past, which, you know, it seems to be that's when he gives up the home runs and batters can tee off on what he's going to throw. So he did a good job commanding that slider for strikes, especially in that first save when he really had to grind it out and record that one. When he got the second save, it was a lot easier. He threw nine pitches and the inning was over. Boom, just like that. It wasn't an immaculate inning. Don't get me confused when I say it was only nine pitches. Um, for he only recorded one strikeout in these two innings pitched over this series. Um, but he did make it look a lot easier that second appearance of the series. And then I kind of mentioned Omar Narvaez. He's another honorable mention for me just because he's shown some ability to slug the ball a little bit here. And he's going to get some more playing time, as I mentioned. So hopefully he can become an honorable mentioned on our next podcast against the Pirates. Switching over to series dud, I think I finally reached the point where I have to do it. I have to go with Christian Yelich as my series dud. 2 of 12 this series, 2 walks, 1 stolen base, 3 strikeouts. Yeah, that's not terrible, but Christian Yelich obviously has not performed to season how he should be. Doesn't record an extra base hit at all this series, and is not... He's not doing anything. Like, we expect him to carry the offense, and he's not. His batting average has fell below 200 now on the season. The strikeout rates are still astronomically high. It's it's crazy. And then what really pushed me over the edge this series, honestly, was his defense. He lost another ball in the light in Miller Park in Game 1 of that doubleheader. And Adam McKelvey on Twitter says that that's the second time that's happened this season I'm pretty sure it's at least the third time that Christian Yelich has lost the ball in the sunlight this year he had one last series against the Pirates and I think he had one way back if you go back into maybe July or early August I can't remember off the top of my head but I'm to the point where I'm just like let's move this guy back to right field for whatever reason you know we, the, the glares aren't bad out there I mean we've seen Ryan Braun battle that sun for years and he never loses the ball like Christian Yelich does, uh, at least consistently, like it seems this season. So, kind of getting a little sick of that, and I, I'm ready to just put him back to right field at this point. Move, move someone back out and left. Ryan Braun's played there for years. I'm sure it wouldn't be that big of a deal. And to be honest, in a normal outfield rotation where we have Lorenzo Cain, I thought that. Uh, Garcia should have played left to begin with anyway, and we should have just kept Christian Yelich in right. But hey, what do I know? I'm not the manager. Honorable mentions for series, Dud. I have two more. We'll start with Avi Garcia as my first. Two of 15 on the series, five strikeouts, got caught stealing once. I mean, as the leadoff hitter against righties, like, man, you didn't even draw a walk this series. <laughs> I mean, I know, and then the five strikeouts on top of that, not making contact and just putting the ball in play is is not a good trait to have for that leadoff hitter in this series. So giving him a dud shot out there. And then the other dud is Eric Sogard. Hitless this series, 0 for 7. Did draw one walk, two strikeouts. 
But, I mean, we were kind of praising Eric Sogart earlier this season because even though he wasn't getting hits, he was drawing walks, and it was awesome to see he was still getting on base. Now that's starting to fall. You know, he's not battling as well as he used to be, and that's resulting in a super low batting average, and the on-base percentage isn't as impressive as what it once used to be. So are you a super utility man who is basically an everyday player, He's struggling offensively in this series with some more evidence of that. So let's move out of the Red series here. We will preview the Pirates quick here next. So we just saw them. <laughs> so what have the Pirates been up to since we saw them last weekend? Well, they played two games against the White Sox, and they lost both of them. They actually got no hit by Lucas Giolito. Yeah, remember that guy? He, he was pretty good. He, sh- he shut the Brewers down. Well, he threw the first no-hitter of the year, so that was good to see for him. And after two straight losses against the White Sox, the Pirates took two straight games against the Cardinals. So, hey, I'll take that, beating our next division opponent here in terms of record anyway. So thank you, Pirates, for helping us out there. And seeing how we just did see the Pirates last weekend, we're seeing some of their same pitchers. So game one will be Burns versus Derek Holland. Game two will be Brett Anderson versus JT Brubaker. So we saw both of those guys in the last series. And then the finale on Sunday will be Brault versus Woodruff. I do think it is worth noting that that Brandon Woodruff one is very tentative right now. He Brandon Woodruff has a baby plan at this moment. His wife is supposed to be induced into labor on the 31st and then he'll rejoin the team you know before his next start would be late next week but you know if something happens and the baby comes early we might not see Brandon Woodruff on Sunday so that is something to monitor as we get closer to that date but I'm not going to talk too much really about the Pirates for we just saw them and we kind of know a little bit what to expect and hopefully this offense can actually hit against these mediocre pitchers who we've now seen once this year so we're going to focus the last bit of this podcast on the trade deadline for that's coming up august 31st next monday at 4 p.m eastern time so last time i kind of talked about some needs that we'd want and i got a couple more guys i want to touch on primarily if we were to look to upgrade at the corner infield spot so thinking first base and third base so, I mean, really, before you even get into, like, specific players that are out there, you have to evaluate, like, kind of where where are we at with these positions? Well, to start the year, we had Justin Smoke and Logan Morrison at first base. Justin Smoke has pretty much been the everyday first baseman and has really struggled like most Brewers hitters. He's shown some signs of life here recently. So whether or not if the Brewers want to upgrade at first base is going to depend on if they think they've seen enough out of this recent mini hot streak from smoke to warrant not upgrading right because he's on that one-year deal with a club option so it's like do they want to ride that out yet this year based off this hot streak that they've seen or do they think it's worth upgrading right now well a couple options out there if they wanted to go go get uh, Mitch Moreland out of the Red Sox, hey, you know, that'd be fine. He has club control for 2021, a $3 million option, and as a 34-year-old, he's breaking out, (laughs) and the Red Sox are terrible, so they might look to be shipping him. I mean, the dude, last time I looked at his batting average, is hitting 350, (laughs) and he had eight homers, 
um, and then like a OPS of 1.2. So he's been one of the most productive first basemans in the entire MLB this year and could very well be on the move from the Red Sox. If the Brewers want to look for someone with a little bit more club control, hey, you know, maybe we just uh, keep Josh Bell in Milwaukee after this weekend series. I mean, Josh Bell was an all-star last year, hit 37 homers, had 116 RBIs, just broke out, and this year he's face-planted. He's essentially pulled like a Travis Shaw for the Pirates. I mean, the dude's batting average is well below 200. His on-base percentage is like 225 and his strikeout rates are just through the roof. So not quite sure what that is all about, but you have to think he's way too good of a hitter to stay down, and for a guy who would be under club control for at least three more years because this offseason will be his first year of arbitration, he's going to break out of it. If it's not this year, I don't know, but then you kind of have a first baseman, I don't say of the future, but for a few more years going forward after this 2020 season and Josh Bell, um, you're just probably still going to have to give up a, a pretty decent price to get him and some of your some of your very talented prospects. When you take a look at third base here quick, well, we used to have Brock Holt there. He was playing third base against righties primarily, and he was DFA'd and is no longer with the team. Jed Jerko was brought in. He's basically been a platoon guy. Only starts against lefties, which still really irritates me. <laughs> and then Luis Sirius has picked up some of the playing time here at third base now after the departure of Brock Holt. So, I mean, do the Brewers really feel confident going forward this year with Urias and Jed Jerko at third base? I don't know, maybe. I mean, it's good to get a really a good extended look at Luis Sirius, I think, especially while you're still trying to see what Orlando Arcia can do this year, still trying to see what Eric Sogard can do, um, and then that still gives you versatility with the DH to let Keston be in that role and not take the field given all the players that you have. But you really don't have anyone outstanding at third base, so you look to upgrade, well could go for Todd Frazier. I mean, many Brewer fans, myself, kind of on the bad wagon a little bit this offseason about acquiring him, um, but but he could be available. He signed with the Rangers, and the Rangers have, they, I think they've lost like eight or nine games in a row at one point here recently, and they haven't admitted they're in sell mode, but you have to think they're pretty close, and Todd Frazier would have a club option for 2021. I think it's just under $6 million. I mean, in terms of his performance this year, I mean, it's about as you would expect. It's about a 240 hitter. Not quite slugging the ball like we would expect, but he still has plenty of pop in his bat and could very easily turn that around. Another option at third base, you could go with the utility man from the Angels, and that's Tommy Lastella. You might remember him from the Cubs years ago. Um, joined the Angels and really broke out last year in 2019. Had 16 home runs and just under 400 plate appearances at one point, which was a career high for him in the home run category. And then had this freak injury where he fouled the ball off his leg, and I believe he actually fractured his leg and missed the rest of the season. Um, but he's really kind of picked up where he left off last year. He's hitting the ball great, hitting for power. Um, it's really a bright spot in an Angels lineup that's really underperforming to expectations and he's on a one-year deal so why not if you're the angels look to get some value out of him so if the brewers want to stick with their theme of acquiring utility guys 
yeah, I, I wouldn't put past David Stearns to go out and get uh, Tommy Lestella. The only problem is, you know, he would be a rental, so you'd have to look to have to look to extend him past this season. For you know, if the Brewers were, I don't know, many games above 500, then I wouldn't be as like, oh, you know, we don't really need to get Tommy Lestella. But you know, given that we're below 500, I think that makes that acquisition a little bit more questionable. So we'll be back after the Pirates series here, and of course, at that point, we may or may not have some trades to talk about as well. So our podcast on the Pirates series recap will be coming out on August 31st, before the trade deadline, of course, but if anything major happens, we will likely do an emergency trade deadline podcast that would come out on Tuesday for the Brewers there, and then do our normal series recaps from there. So... Until next time, Brewer friends, I'll talk to you later. See ya.